discover Star Trek Discovery with us as we recap and critique the episodes with a little sass and humor. Okay, maybe a lot of sass and laughter. Ready to laugh with us? Hello and welcome to to Trekkie and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. I'm Manika. And I'm Andrea. And welcome to episode three of Star Trek Discovery season two. So there's so much to discuss, so let's go ahead and get into it. Monica, what is your initial reaction of this episode? So I'm really excited and I watched this episode a few times. My mm-hmm. first reactions were like, yay, my favorite character is back. And I especially like her one-liner, which we're going to dive into in a bit. The freaks are more fun. Like I was able to, I thought she's lively and like, it's just nice to see her. But then we, I rewatched it a few times and then I started to growl <laughs> at the screen <laughs> and I'm frustrated at the writers because now I'm noticing more details that we'll talk about in a bit. But now I'm starting to think that the episode is more of a cross between Jerry Springer and a soap opera for me, which I don't <laughs> like. I don't like all this drama <laughs> and baby mamas and baby daddies and so- in Star Trek and so I'm disappointed with the writers so I'm downgrading this to two snaps (laughs) okay (laughs) what about you I know that was (laughs) long-winded um no you're fine um I my initial my initial thought is that I actually like this episode not because the episode was good but because what the episode is going to bring us um I feel like the first two episodes of this season were a little slow and I was just like okay I mean I love Pike I love the energy that he was bringing but like I wasn't connecting to any of the stories like it just wasn't working for me so this episode really lets us know that okay we're finally going to get set up to some action um it's not about this episode wasn't completely wrapped around Michael, which was very, which was like good for me. Um, Cause I'll be, I'm, I'm going to admit, I'm a little, I'm a little tired of her. I cannot believe I'm saying this. I'm a little like dragged out by her storyline. Like it's getting a little annoying. Um, so I, I, my initial reaction is I actually like this episode because it was focused on other people more like the episode was really focused on more on everyone else and Michael had a storyline but it wasn't the main storyline so I'm happy with this episode hopefully you know I don't eat my words later (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's definitely many other characters that's bringing a lot of drama to the story as well so (laughs) yes so let's go ahead and get into that conversation so one of the main people in this episode is Tilly and um we all love her and if you don't let's have a conversation after this out back me and you just want to know uh (laughs) but we know that Tilly has been going through something where she feels like she's seeing the ghost of her dead um of her dead uh, old schoolmate and it's coming to a head in this episode and she is seeing her while she's running. She's seeing her while she's on the bridge and we see that May is yelling at her and then we can see that it's it's taking Tilly apart because she doesn't know what's wrong with her. Um, so before like, I explain everything that happened with Tilly, what did you think of, what did you think of what happened to Tilly? So I'm excited for Tilly as I think she's like in the Henson right now she's in training for for the command program Mm -hmm. and it's exciting to see how someone funnels up to a leadership role how to get to the bridge and obviously 
the crew of Discovery trusts her a ton to be able to like to, I mean, she's been in charge of like this, like all these investigations and she's helped save the day for, <laughs> for many of these journeys that they've been on. So mm -hmm. it's nice to see her. And in the very, in the opening scene, she's running as part of this, her, a marathon. And that's a scene that I remember from a previous episode in which Michael was helping her train and helping her boost her confidence mm -hmm. to that. She was going to be able to like meet all the requirements to become captain one day. Yeah. And so it's nice to see her, like her self-esteem boost up. And she's like, she's eager to do this, but yet there's something interfering with her. And it, it, she thinks it's a ghost of May and she doesn't know why. And so that's intriguing to me about whether it was like a subconscious thing that was going on in her head. Like if she was like beating herself down, because sometimes we do that as mm -hmm. humans, like we, we um, were more critical of ourselves or if this was like some other outer body experience. Um, and so it was cool to see that and also see Saru kind of cheer her on and Michael cheer her on. Michael was there when she finished the race and Tilly won. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you think it, about that scene? It were, so to, the, the, um, elaborate more on the point that you said that like as humans, we sometimes like, you know, it, it, to me, it felt like it was almost not really like a psychotic break that she was thinking it could have been, but more of been more of, um, she was like almost sabotaging herself. Like she was finally getting everything that she thought, everything that she wanted. And the fact that she was almost there and now she starts seeing the ghost of her dad friend. Like, what is this? What is, what is going on? Um, and so as the episode progressed, um, we see that May is yelling at Tilly when Pike comes to the deck. We see that May is um, looking for someone particular and is not Pike and is not the captain. And so Pike being an amazing person that he is, he pairs himself off with Tilly when they're at the bridge doing like their shadow exercises. Then he offers Tilly the chair, which is the last time she sat in the chairs when she had to fake like she was Killy. So she's like, I'm sitting in the captain's chair. I'm paired with Captain Pike, who's just a supportive person. And she's losing it, which is like, it's like, is this really like, is, that's what made me think like, is she's like self-sabotaging herself? Like, is that what was going on? Because like she was finally getting to the point that she didn't really, like she wanted the goal, but didn't know if she was worthy of the goal. Right. And then May is just yelling at her and yelling at her and yelling at her saying, that's not him. He's shorter. He's more pale. He has blonde hair. And it didn't right. click to me at first who she was talking about right. until like the person came on screen. I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. That's exactly who she was talking about. But she is on the bridge and she like yells at her, like yells at May, but comes off that she's yelling at Pike. And she does what at first I thought that was May was trying to get her to do, resign from the captain training. Cause it seemed like May was on her side, but not really. Um, and so when she leaves and I'm just, I'm, I'm like heartbroken for her because Tilly, she already knows that she's not normal. Right. Right. what the world considers is normal right. and instead like so she's finally on the track and Saru was like rooting for her because Tilly's not normal Saru was like the first of his kind to get to where he is and he's like he sort of feels like a kinship with I can I sort of see he feels like a little kinship with Tilly because he's like hey she's not the normal person either and like she's like throwing all of this hard work away and it's just 
I, my heart went out to her during that because I just I couldn't believe what May was putting her through. Right, and you could see the rest of the crew look at her like, "This is your time. This is what you always wanted." What are you doing? (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Um. So then, like you know, she goes back to the room and she talks to Michael and Mike, and then um, Tilly has like a breakdown because she, like, my heart literally. I was watching this with like my heart on my sleeve for Tilly because she was like, she's breaking me down, and I don't. I don't know how, like, she's like, I don't know how much I can, more I can take. I, I'm, I'm going to lose. Like she can feel that she's not strong enough to fight May's influence over her. Right. And she starts crying and May is like, what are you doing? And she has to explain that she's crying because she's sad. And then when she leaves, Michael's like, uh, what teenage girl doesn't know what crying is? Right. That's not normal. Right. But I think also Tilly was afraid to share any of this because what she's going through is not based on science. It's not anything that she could, I think, rationalize. This was hard to describe to the rest of the crew, including her roommate, Michael, right? So it wasn't until she had was at this all-time low. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh my goodness gracious. And she was describing this. So I could see how she did not share this information earlier. I know Saru was kind of disappointed. Like, why didn't you share this? And it's because how do you share the fact that you're seeing someone else that's passed away? That's hard. And this, this crew was also reeling off of multiple betrayals. Right. Um, And Ash comes into mind because the last time there was someone on the, on the, on the ship who was like, Thing or not completely there mentally he was basically like a double agent un- unspinal to himself and so right. I can also see that's why another reason why she doesn't go to sick bay that she's avoiding it is because you know she doesn't want them to think she has something else going on in her head um but Michael is the one who basically lets her know that this isn't a medical problem this is a scientific problem you need to go to the engineering you need to go to the sport drive you need to see Paul and that's what I felt like I was so stupid because Paul is the is the shorter, paler, blonde person <laughs> that May was trying to come into contact with. And um, Paul is able to realize, Paul and Tilly, because they are in a dynamic duo and I love them when they like feed off of each other. They're able to realize that it's a spore from the mirror dimension landed on Tilly. And that reminded me, it did happen. We did see that happen right. when they left the mirror universe. Right. And it's like a fungus, like literally growing inside of her body that he has to like pull out using the dark matter. And May is pissed. May doesn't want this to happen. And I will say, I was a little disgusted by the scene when they pulled May out of Tilly. When they pulled the fungus. I won't call, call him May anymore. When they pulled the fungus out of Tilly. Because I was just thinking it would be something like, you know, just sucked up into the vacuum. But no, like it's an actual blob that was like inside of her body right I was like oh god nope mm -mm, we're done we're done we're done we're done fungus no thank you bye-bye what did you right right like so we thought it was like a parasite I I think at first we thought it was like a ghost and a figment of her imagination then we find out it's a parasite Mm -hmm. but it reminded me of like some other scenes of other uh movies in which they're like 
it's an outer body experience and you're trying to pull this out of it. It's weird how it came out of her chest and but and like a know, full blob. Show. Right. <laughs> and they captured it in the same contraction that, that, that she captured the um the black meteor, the piece yeah. of black meteor. Yeah. So um it's how ironic. But then also we realized this is like Terry and May. Yeah. Right because and that's how she was able to connect with paul through that spore core i don't know plexiglass area and so he's like the captain of that yeah he was stirring the ship and deciding yeah. where they're going to go in the in um um during those travels but that's why this may was really mean and awful and maybe didn't understand tears because it's tarian may <laughs> well so i was think so my 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 understanding was it wasn't May at all. It was just someone who took the form of someone from her memories that it was literally just the fungus. That's why it didn't understand human emotions because it wasn't human. So I, I, I understood it as it was literally like a fungus. It wasn't something that was human, but it just it took the like form the of someone from her memories. They were yeah. mentioning earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Um, so that's why, because like even the even a um, a mirror, uh, the Terran universe um, person would understand what tears were, and this one didn't understand what tears were. So it's like ah, oh, still gross though. Still seeing that black little fungus blob. Ah, oh, I took a shower after that episode. I was like, okay, this is gross. <laughs> but that was Tilly's storyline in this episode, and so then we have another storyline that's sort of important. We see um, we see. Michael connecting with her mother Amanda again and they have some really intense conversations uh when they come because um they the discovery is hailed by the ship um and like they don't have to basically tell the discovery anything just because of how high important the ship is and Michael's the one who recognizes it as um her, her father her stepfather's or her adoptive father not stepfather adoptive father's ship and it's a wreck ship and she's like, okay, we'll beam him over. And it's her mother who comes and hugs her and says, don't react, but Spock needs her help. And I was like, oh gosh, now we got a, we got a mystery going on. What's going on now? What is happening? Um, and there's a lot that sort of happens with Amanda um, coming onto the ship. And we see, well, first of all, what did you think of Amanda coming in and hugging Michael's like, don't react, but your brother needs help. Like, what, what do you, what did you think of that scene? That scene was a little weird to me, but I can also, thinking about it further, understand that with Vulcan culture, you don't, I think they don't show emotion so much. Mm -hmm. So she was just in Vulcan, she lives the majority of her life now in Vulcan culture. And so it seems like she was training Michael, like, I'm going to tell you something, something's big um and embrace her because she knows that Michael is human so Michael does react and we also know that Michael can go rogue at any time so <laughs> maybe it's also like calming Michael down like you know mm -hmm. I can imagine your mother coming over to you like I have some bad news don't overreact take we'll a breath sit together. down right yeah right that kind of thing but Amanda I really like Amanda and um, she has some guts in her mm -hmm. because she also stole the medical files. Yes. 
I'm, I'm Spock. And she was like, I need to know what's going on with my son. Right. And I feel like this ship is like the best ship for it because Pike there cares, really cares about Spock. He cares about who he is. He wants to make sure that he's okay. Um, Michael is Spock's sister. Um, and Amanda's the mom. And like, it leaves sort of Sarek. I like how she did it. because unless, unless Sarek doesn't know, it, um, it gives him the plausible deniability. And I like that, like, he's not involved in this because it gives him plausible deniability. Like, I didn't know what they were doing. If, if whatever they're planning doesn't work, he can still be used at the end to help, like, protect his son. So I'm like, I like the whole compartmentalizing of the crew, of, of who knows what. Right. But then we find that Spock actually is on the run because Pike tries to get a hold of Spock of, of the psych ward that he is at and Spock isn't there anymore. And he killed three people escaping. And we find out that Spock knew about the Red Angel. That apparently at one point when Michael tried to run away after the science academy where she was working was um, blown up. And, you know, we remember the scene of Sarek sort of saying, my mind to your mind, like right. bringing her back. Um, she ran away to protect everyone. And it was Spock who found her. But Spock always said the Red Angel was the one. So now we see that this Red Angel has been around for, um, for years in Michael and Spock, Spock's life. But then Amanda says something that makes, that breaks my heart. Because I will admit, I love me some Spock. Like Spock was probably my favorite character for like a very long time. Um, but we learn that Amanda basically shut off her own em emotions when it came to her son because he was raised Vulcan. She wanted him to be raised and accepted in Vulcan culture. So she pulled back all of her emotional love and support when it came to him. And then she admits to Michael that when Michael came, she was able to push all of that love and emotion that she couldn't show her son into Michael, creating like a rift between her and Spock. And I just, I, oh, that broke my heart. That broke my heart. I was like, how could you do my boy that way? Like, I understood right. why, but how could you treat him this way? Right. Openly show affection to someone else when you can't do it to your own child because he was being raised Vulcan. And it's just, it, ma it made my heart go out to Spock even more. Or like what he faced growing up. Right. I but mean, he's, he's caught between like two cultures, right? Mm -hmm. So the human culture with empathy and understanding feelings and completely logical feeling. And we know that Sarek uh, from previous episodes was really a strict dad. He also chose Spock for the Vulcan Science Academy instead of mm -hmm. Michael, right? Yeah. So he's leaning more. We know that Sarek leaning more towards his favorite son, his child, like to Spock, then Michael and, and maybe Amanda was like, then I need to help Michael because mm -hmm. also I have common traits with Michael. And I see some of these types of dynamics impacting families here on earth that, you know, celebrate two different, that are part of two different religions and other cultural aspects. And they're like, oh, do we put up a Christmas tree? Do we not? Like, so there's dynamics there and it's interesting though that she chose one and I've heard of this this um this feeling of mother's regret and it seems like she's exploring that now like maybe that was the wrong decision to make she can't go mm -hmm. back in time of course to fix it but she's wondering about that decision and how she raised Michael versus versus Spock yeah um 
So, okay, so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back to discuss more of um, Amanda and uh, Michael. And then we need to get into what the Klingons are doing in this episode because I'm going to be honest, they stole the show this episode. They stole it all. And I can't believe I'm supporting them. So don't go anywhere. Sit right there. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the second half of Trekkie and Beyond, a Star Trek podcast. So we're getting right back into it, guys. So also, while Michael and um, Amanda are talking, we hear that Amanda basically asks, you know, what's going on? Why don't, why can't we get you guys together for holidays? Why is it all four of us can never be together ever? And Michael admits that she is the reason why her and Spock don't talk. Um, Because after that attack at the Science Center where she went to school when she was a little human, little little human Vulcan, she there was an attack and the attack was because of her and she realized it was because of her it was because that she was human living in a Vulcan in a Vulcan um world and the extremists didn't want that and she said that Spock was like her shadow so I guess at some point between meeting him and then that attack they got close but we don't see that part on screen uh, while they're like young and then she decides I need to run away because I have to protect them because I don't want them to die because of me. And she doesn't want Spock to become a target because of her. So she ends up um, saying something. We don't know what she said because Amanda asks her point blank, what did you say? And Michael's quiet. And Amanda's like, well, the fact that you didn't tell me is because means it's extreme. Um, And so like we get that Michael, I felt at that point, Michael blended Vulcan and Earth and human tactics of I'm trying to protect you and in protecting you I'm going to hurt you and she's like I'm using logically it makes the most sense for you not to be around me so I'm going to hurt you emotionally which is a human thing instead of like using logic to explain to him hey I need you not to be around me anymore because I don't want you to have a target on your back so it's like she blended the two cultures together but blended the worst parts of each culture together in order to protect her brother and even now as they're adults he refuses to talk to her so that makes me really think this is not just like a spat between siblings because i know when me and my brothers get upset we may go like a couple days without talking like we'll have full-on screaming matches and then like apologize the next day or like let it go you know because that's what you do but i'm like what did she say i really want to know what she said to that broke my boy Cause like Michael, if you think I'm picking you over Spock, you got another thing coming. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> but we also see a different side of Amanda. We see a side of her that's like, I will go hard for my child. Right. And I know you have something you wanted to mention about that. Yeah, I. It's interesting to me that for two things that. Michael did not go rogue like Michael typically does when she finds out, oh, there's a problem. She could have taken the, the, the medical records and searched and scanned it. She didn't have to give it to Pike, Captain Pike, mm-hmm. um, and, and talk it out. She's been learning over the course of all of these, uh, all of this mess. Uh, about how to how to approach problems so I'm glad that she did not do that but with that I think Amanda was able to recognize oh Michael is not 
helping me as much as I wanted her to, because Michael mm-hmm. wasn't uh, just willing to break all the rules to find out about, to dig into the files and help with, with finding out what's going on with Spike, with, sorry, with Spock. So Amanda stormed out of their discussion. It was like, I'll handle this by myself and whipped her neck around. It was out of the door, like I'm back to my ship and I'm going to save my son. I'm going to buy whatever means possible. I'm going to make this happen. She took the disc with her, but Michael didn't run after her and Michael did not, um, we didn't see any contact later on uh, with Michael following up. The only, I think, follow-up emotion I saw was Michael laying down on the bed with tears. Um, but it shows that um, Michael is drawing a line, mm-hmm. but Amanda is willing to fight for Spock. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting that Sarek is not there to fight for Spock. But we don't see. So the thing is, we don't know if they're doing a, a, a um, plausible deniability. I'm hoping they're doing a plausible deniability. Right. As in they're both working independently of, of each other. Like he's working the channels that he can work and she's trying to work the back channels. So that way, no matter what, like if he does things the correct way, he might get answers or he might not. So she's right. doing things the incorrect way to hopefully get answers. I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, like, I don't know if I'm right. I'm hoping that he's working his, his connections to figure out what's going on. Um, but that way they both have no knowledge of what the other one's doing. It's like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. So you can't like, if she gets stopped, he can keep going. And if he gets stopped, she can keep going. I I'm love your optimism do. there. I'm because, hoping. Yeah, because Spock is wanted for murder at this point. So yeah. this is scary <laughs> and tarnishes their whole family. Let alone Michael is in prison. Like, like, like this whole family got some issues. So right. they also said um, Spock made, if he was in a, um, he was in a psych ward, that if he was in a, uh, what's the word? Um, if he wasn't in his right mind, that he might be able to get away with. Well, not really get away with, but not be punished to the full extent if he was already in a psych ward. So we'll see what happens in the coming episodes. Hopefully, I'm waiting to see him. I'm waiting to see Spock. Like, I'm tired of seeing other versions of him. I want the man. So come on, help me out, people. Okay, I'm sorry. That part of Andrea is done. I apologize, people. Um, So let's go ahead and move into (laughs) the next portion of this episode, which is, in my opinion, the best part of this episode, the part that gave us so much information, but at the same time, made me wondering, well, what are you guys doing? The Klingons. Because I didn't really know if we were going to get back to them. Like, I didn't really know, or I knew we were, but I didn't know when we would get back to them. And boy, do these Klingons have a whole different look to them, because they are now apparently growing out their hair, because in peacetime, they grow their hair, but in wartime, they shave it. And they all look weird, in my opinion, with hair. Like, and like they all look like they have a receding hairline because none of their hair start, starts until like the middle of their forehead in my or middle of their like top of their head but also ash is growing out his hair he has a yes. ponytail and a beard and ash is like ash i the torch bearer. so he is a torch bearer but like he is human who wants to be accepted as both as a as a Klingon and 
but he's not accessing Volk's memories to the point of like wanting to be with Laurel, but like he wants Laurel to like treat him like Volk. And she tries to kiss him. And he's like, but when you touch me, it still reminds me of all the torture that you put me through. And it's just a very weird and uncomfortable like scenes to watch because what are you doing, Ash? And like the Klingons don't like him there because they're like, they think that he's telling her to basically be the Federation's puppet and to um, stop using the great houses and to your and is really not Ash's what is really not what Ash is doing is really what Laurel wants but because Ash is there the Klingons aren't happy he's being he's feeling disrespected and it's just a very hodgepodge of this is a cluster f of mess and I yes, <laughs> yes. and, and let's I also face it Laurel did not work her way up to this position she, she leveraged her I don't know, and she negotiated with Starfleet so that mm-hmm. she could have that uh, the control for the bomb in Quasar's in the core of Quasar's, and she basically like threatened them so that she could have power over all of the Klingon houses. Mm-hmm. She, I, I think that there's still obviously with this episode, there were people that disagreed with how she worked her way up. Mm-hmm. And she's a female Klingon in that role. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a whole other set of dynamics there as well. This is a um, whole great big mess. Yes. And there's even more mess to be added to this whole mess of a thing. Because we see that Ash finds out that the actual Volk and the actual Laurel had a baby together. And Laurel had the baby taken out of her like, I guess they have the technology for the baby to grow outside of the uterus. And that's why the baby is so small. But Laurel's like, I've never held him. I've never seen him because she doesn't want to have like another thing of like weakness. And then like Ash is sort of saying, well, I were a family, like I'm the child's father. And it's like, what are you doing, dude? No, right. you're not. Volcus. <laughs> and I get that Volcus in your head. And I get that your body was like manipulated, but Klingon. you were still Ash first. Klingon yeah this baby is not yours so like have you like did he merge the both consciousness like off screen like did he like this episode i loved every single piece of the drama but it was mess right and it was such mess (laughs) so i had to rewind and go back about four times to hear her rationalize this thing with the baby because it seems as though she took Volk's sperm <laughs> she became pregnant with him even before Laurel went on to discovery like before yeah. she she um decided that she didn't want to be Klingon anymore that she wanted to defeat like so she knew she was that this child was in an incubator tube growing let's test to baby but she didn't tell Ash then when they were communicating there in discovery last year <laughs> she didn't talk about it then she didn't share this with starfleet or anyone else she also didn't leave with the child if you really cared for Valk and you care for the child when you escape then you escape with your unborn 
then you escape. Or at least time. give your kid to Starfleet and be like, hey, please protect our kid, like our child. Like this is, we need him to like grow up safe right. or whatever. Like this is, this is the proof that I'm on your side because I'm giving my child to you. Like I'm trying, like protect him, please. Like, right. This, yeah, the child should have been able to claim political asylum too. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the child should be in a safe space. I really have issues with this in this. I'm going to circle back to my Jerry Springer and, and, um, <laughs> because I feel like Ash only like conceded to become a family with Laurel once he found out about the child. Then he was like, oh crap this like <laughs> the bulk side of me has a child i need to help this child and then laurel decided to hold the baby not until that moment <laughs> until ash decided oh let's be a family now laurel wants to hold the baby <laughs> it was it's it's mess and i will admit i love i love other people's mess i don't like mess in my life but i like other people's mess so it was enjoyable weird what the f is going on mess um right. but we also see that um that ash is still in contact with starfleet because he does met- message michael and he does let her know like hey laurel doesn't have the support of everyone and there's a insurgency that could happen and if it does starfleet needs to be prepared to go back to war if laurel loses control and it goes to show it in my opinion, it shows that he didn't have complete faith in her and like what they're doing and he doesn't fully trust them. And I, and he would be a fool to fully trust the Klingons, but like to reach out to Starfleet to let them know like, hey, this chick's about to lose power. It could signal to other people if anyone else ever found out that he really doesn't believe in her or believe that she has the strength and the power to do it, do what um, she says she does. And in the beginning of like the episode with the Klingons, um, uh, Ash has to end up wiping off like this paint off of one of the Klingons' face. And then we find that later on in the episode that it was a trap, that he wanted Ash to wipe the face, the, the paint off of his face because the paint had sensors in it. And even if Ash wiped his hands, it still allowed him to like hear what was going on. And so, um, he found out that Laurel had a baby and he kidnaps that baby. And now because Ash feels like he's super father of the year for a child that is genetically not his um, and the child of the still of the person who tortured him, <laughs> like still can't get past that. Um, he kidnaps him. And they, mom and dad, go on to war and they do what stupid people do whenever they're, they make, they made a very emotional decision and they tried to fight back. And I will admit, they were kicking butt. They were kicking butt. They were taking, kicking butt and taking names. And so they were overpowered by Cole Shaw. I'm guessing his name is Cole Shaw. I think that's how you pronounce it. I apologize. I'm not good, but my Klingon is not good. I apologize. Um, and he's about to kill them. And he's like, turn over the chancellorship, Laurel, to me. And um, he's literally about to cut Ash's head off. And then they're saved by a mysterious, mysterious figure. And who do you, who, who guess, and who it is? It's your favorite person. Go ahead and tell them who it is. Because I'm still unfinished about her. Not just Giorgio, but Terry and Giorgio. The emperor. 
<laughs> and Ash even says Emperor to her. And she's like, who is that? I'm right. retired Admiral Philippa Giorgio, a, right. star, a, star, a Starfleet a security consultant. Right. Who is this emperor that you speak of? Right. Girl, you know who you're talking about. <laughs> I don't think of her as emperor anymore because she doesn't reign a throne to me, but she's always the evil Terran Giorgio who eats <laughs> Kelpian. But, <laughs> but she comes in and she fights them off um, and helps save the day and save the baby. And Laurel and Ash. Yes. And gives really Laurel an ultimatum. And a wake-up call. Yes. An ultimatum and like almost like a shock to the system. Like wake up in this world that you're in right now. Right. You cannot have it all. Right. I do not like the wake-up call and I don't like Laurel's choice. And I just want to explain this for a minute. So (laughs) I don't like the writers having the a woman put another woman in a position of choosing either a leadership role, her job, or family. And so I did not like that. Like Laurel either choose your love, Ash, and the baby, or choose to be the leader. One or the other, you can't choose both. And I'm like, oh, there were so many other like feminist like lines in this episode and in this series. Why are you gonna end me like that? Like, why are you gonna do this to me, writers? Like, that is so wrong. <laughs> and um, Laurel chose the leadership role to reign over all the Klingon houses instead of her love, Bulk Ash both of them, the guy that she tortured and the guy that was the love of her life forever and the guy that she like had the baby with. And um, I do not like that position. So in the end, Ash then um, sends the baby off to get adopted by monks. And so now I feel like this is gonna be another Michael situation. Like the baby's raised and not, does not understand his parents and it's like oh ash you heard this story from michael why are you doing this why are you doing this so (laughs) i would love to hear your insights on that and maybe you can help soothe my woes and the pain that i'm inflicting on myself over here (laughs) so in any other scenario you i i would agree that it is a horrible situation that uh, ultimatum that Jordro gave to Laurel. But in this particular situation, it was either one or the other. She was right. You could not have them both because of who Ash is. If Volk was still here, if like if they had brought Taryn Volk back and it was like that Volk that was there, it would have been different. It probably wouldn't have come down to what it came down to. But because Ash is human and because one, the Klingons were not um because going back to what you said Laurel didn't earn this position all the Klingons know that on all the Klingons on Kronos know that she did not earn this position she has it because of the bomb it is in and everyone also knows it is in Starfleet's best interest that Laurel stay chancellor that the other Klingons aren't so this isn't really just about her it's about the good of basically everyone and Philippa sort of explains, like, my job is to make sure she stays the chancellor. 
If you were in love with another Klingon, probably wouldn't have mattered. If you had a kid by another Klingon, probably wouldn't matter. But the fact that it was Volk, the kid has a different skin color. It's um, which basically makes it like you know the the albino version of them. Um, Ash is a human who has Vulcan, who has a Klingon inside of him, but he's never going to be accepted. All, everything that Laurel tries to implement, Klingons think is coming from Ash because they all know that she loves him. Um, it's an instance where you cannot stay in power in this particular world. If she was even on Earth, and this, and she was in part, and like Laurel was in charge of Starfleet, this probably wouldn't even be a choice. It wouldn't be an issue. But because the Klingons are who they are because Ash is not one of them, because the child is not considered one of them, she can't have it both. She can't have both ways because if she had fought her way to the top, they probably would respect her. But everyone knows that they don't. Everyone knows that she has it because Starfleet gave her the bomb that could end Kronos. So she can't have it both ways. This but is- we also know how Klingons mourn the death of their own. And that's what started, kicked off the battle of the binary stars. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting, trying to get past the fact that the writers and director showed us a baby's head that was severed from the body. Like trying not to, that that was awful scene, but like, yeah, oh oh my goodness. Uh, But also for her to, like kill her her child for this position seems to me like a displacement of like anger and frustration and it seems as though like some of the Klingons would be like well shouldn't we have a formal ceremony for 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 their baby for their for a Klingon he is still a Klingon the baby is still a Klingon yes (laughs) I'm still having problems with that and the whole like but again, murder, he wasn't... killing your own child. I'm glad she did not. She faked the death, everyone. But it was still weird and awkward. And I don't think that that's the way Klingons would work. But again, it's it's not a everyday scenario. This is very specific, certain circumstances. Um, she lies and says that, uh, that Ash is the one that killed the baby. Um, she's basically setting it up to say, I killed Ash, one, to make herself look better because he killed Cole because he gave, Cole, well, Cole gave, Cor gave his life to defend mine. Um, one house defending another. Um, she's like basically making it symbolic to gain all of their support. Like she has to do what she's doing. And let's, let's be honest, everything that she said probably came from Philippa. Everything she said probably came from Philippa. Um, but she's like, look, they don't respect you because you don't you did not earn this position. You were handed this position by Starfleet. And as far as they will ever see, Ash is a Starfleet person kept there to make sure she stays on the straight and narrow that Starfleet wants. So for her to fake kill Ash because he killed their child, she he killed the child that she had with Volk, basically says, I am. Um, giving my all to you guys from now on. If she was in love with any other Klingon and had a child by any other Klingon, her being, she would never have to choose, ever. She wouldn't have had to choose. But because of the, the, of the specific scenario that she was in, she couldn't have both. Okay. She could not have both. Okay, 
that I'm going to change my anger. I'm now angry at Starfleet for giving Giorgio this power to make to because Giorgio just needs to be sent back over to the Terran universe. She should not be part of Section 31 Black Ops, and because Giorgio has no scruples, ethics, and does so like we need someone like Captain Pike to help like help people yeah. make decisions, not Giorgio. Okay. So I yeah. Thank but you. as you just mentioned, now Giorgio, she is a part of Section Thirty One, like the Black Ops group of Starfleet, um, and she's a like she's on the ship, and she loves it because she gets to basically do what she gets to do underhanded dark things. She gets to kill people for fun, and granted, it's for the betterment of Starfleet, but in her mind, she just gets to kill people. Um, so this episode was, it was a lot. This episode uh, was a the beginning of I think fun and when I say fun it was it's gonna be fun to watch now again I think the next couple episodes hopefully we'll get the ball rolling we'll see more action there's not so much of explaining of getting us to where we need to go so that way we can have the action um what are your final thoughts on this episode I saw a lot of maternal connections and it was touching to me and I believe the first episode in the second season is called Brother. And I think that this episode should be called Mother because there were lots of maternal connections from Amanda, Laurel, even Giorgio made a joke um, when Ash was holding the baby. Um, Ash seemed a little more maternal than I'd ever seen him before yeah. <laughs> with the child. Um, and then... Um, Tilly was reflecting upon um, her time with her mother. So it was nice to see that aspect, um, which we don't typically see in Star Trek episodes and really a mother's fight in Amanda's case for her son. Yeah, so that's, that's my final thoughts. What about you? Um, I loved this episode. Again, I, I loved it for all the bad things that it had inside of it. <laughs> Because <laughs> I feel like we're finally, hopefully, setting up the storylines that don't completely, hopefully, revolve around Michael. I do love Michael. Don't don't get me wrong, people. But I don't like when the show is wrapped around one character forever. Because eventually, there's only so much that one character can go through that's believable. Um, I like that Giorgio mentioned that she had a kid, and I wonder what's happened to that kid. And I wonder if she have a kid in this universe. And then, like, what? Like, that makes me that opens up a whole bunch of doors. Um, oh, that was Michael. No, that was Giorgio. She revealed, she's like, when I had a kid, like during the whole thing, she's like, children right. are parasites, ungrateful, inconvenient. I had to find someone else to feed mine or I've never gotten nothing done. Remember Terry and Giorgio adopted Michael. So that was the kid she was referencing. That, and she felt like Michael was ungrateful. Yeah, but why would she say I had someone else to feed mine? Because she never really fed Michael. She like, she was ruling, she was an emperor. I don't know. I... I, I'm a, I, I, get, I know everything that said so far. I felt like she let something slip that she shouldn't have because the way she felt about Michael doesn't make that sentence seem correct because she felt like she had this great connection to Michael, but she's calling children parasites and ungrateful and convenient. And I feel like I had to find someone else to feed mine. It doesn't lead to, if you don't care enough, enough about your kid to feed them, you're not going to care if they betray you. Like, it's not going to be as heartbreaking. 
I I didn't see that being Michael. I I mean, I know that she considers Michael her kid, but I didn't consider what she was saying to be the, our Michael, or at least her Michael, because she. Yeah. I was just thinking off. that she had like a nanny. She had someone to help take care of. And I think that there's lots of parents that choose to have someone take care of their child with and still love them. But yeah. Oh, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying she said it as in like having the child was like, if I didn't have, like not saying like having a nanny is bad, saying like she sent the kid away because she didn't want to deal with it. Not because, because she didn't love it. And I was like, that's not the way she talked about Michael when she, like first when Got we it. saw her interactions. Okay. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like it, those two emotions didn't add up to um, someone she cared about. She was like, okay, you can go somewhere. Bye. <laughs> Cause like she was looking at a baby. So it just made me think she was thinking of a baby. So either yeah. neither here nor there. I, that's my interpretation of how she said it. It was like, it didn't seem like she ever loved that kid. Um, but yeah, so we have a whole season to unravel and to figure out what's going on. Um, so actually, I agree with you. I do think that this should have been called Mother. There was a lot of mother aspects in this episode. So yeah, I agree. This episode should have been called Mother. Um, but yeah, I liked the episode and I cannot wait to see the next one. And I'll be watching the next one the day before we record. So it's fresh in my head. <laughs> So if that is everything, thank you for listening and please don't hesitate to subscribe. Talk to you later. And as always, live, live long, long and prosper. Bye-bye. Hey guys, it's Andrea. Thank you for listening to the most recent episode of our podcast, Trekking and Beyond. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes. If you enjoyed listening to us, please go ahead and support us by clicking that support button in the episode's description. We greatly appreciate it. As always, live long and prosper.